Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, across the nation now on the internet. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, Y'all, uh, I've been telling you about the activist army. Well, it is it is open and engaged. Those of you who have subscribed, you will get a take action alert here soon to begin calling your senators and tell them to just let the voters decide this as the impeachment trial begins today. Just just let the voters deal with it in November. Do you know we are now 365 days from the presidential inaugural? It'll take place January 20th next year. You're like, wait, how can this be? It's the 21st. Well, this is a leap year. A year from today, the next president of the United States or the current president uh, will be sworn in for either a first term or, or a second term, depending on who it is. Life goes on and we will survive whether or not uh, impeachment lasts a day, a week or a month. Some prognosticators say impeachment is going to last uh, for a while. And uh, my suspicion is it's not. Here's, here's why I think it's actually not going to last uh, as long as some may claim, uh, and that is because the Republicans now realize that this gives Joe Biden an advantage, and they still think Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders would be a weaker candidate, and they want them back on the campaign trail as quick as possible. So they, they want to rush this out uh, so that uh, the Senate candidates can get back on the campaign trail as quick as possible. Mitch McConnell, we'll get into the rules here in a little bit. He, he's modeling his rules for impeachment off of Clinton's, but he's taken some significant differences. You're not getting that from some of the, the rhetoric on the right. I'll, I'll try to explain to you the major differences. A friend of mine used to work for Jim DeMint as an expert on Senate parliamentary procedure, and uh, I have talked to him. I'll explain to you what he said. He wasn't available for an interview this morning, honestly. Uh, James is a UGA guy too, um, but I, I'm I'm not sure we could have kept out of the weeds and we'd put every, the whole audience to sleep. The, you know, my job here is not just to keep you company and entertain you, but to give you facts. But I can't give you facts when I put you to sleep at the wheel and you die in a fiery car crash because you got bored. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, should I? But see, you get my point. Still, I don't want to put you to sleep while you're driving down the road or in your office and get you in trouble. So. I'll explain the parliamentary rules to you. I, I, I do think it's worth noting, though. In all honesty, our and, and yes, this is my broken record portion of the show already. Nine after the hour we just began. We're going to forget that impeachment ever happened. And a month from now, we're going to move on to something else. Something else is going to happen. Will we get the actual Iranian response to Soleimani? Do you even remember that Soleimani was killed a few weeks ago? The Iranians purportedly responded with a, I mean, it was functionally impotent. I, I, I got to imagine they can do more than that. We'll see. But it was just what a waste. And and suddenly the news cycle moves on and we're back to impeachment, uh, except now we've got a Greta Thunberg pause. Remember Greta Thunberg? Greta Thunberg is in Davos scowling. You don't want me to be here. You don't want to listen. She didn't take a yacht. Neither did the president. The president went to Davos. He flew into Switzerland and then took a helicopter to Davos. I hope he flew around a few extra miles just circling to like burn fuel uh, while Greta watched and, and landed in Davos. And Greta's very upset that the president is there. She's very upset that they're all there hobnobbing. Um, she she thinks that they got it. They, they haven't taken any action. They haven't done anything. Poor thing. Um, that poor, you know, really, I, I feel sorry for the child. Clearly, other people are controlling her. 
and she has a um, mental situation where she takes all this stuff literally. So when they tell her the world's got 10 years, she actually believes it. And my goodness, what a sad life. Now, I mentioned that the action center is open. If you have your cell phone handy, don't do this if you're driving. I want to discourage you from texting and driving. But you can say, what, um, hey Siri, text impeachment to 52886, or you yourself can do it. Text the word impeachment to the number 52886. That, that is the action center. Here's what happens. You, you text the word impeachment to the number 52886, and uh, you will be put into my action center for this here program, uh, something I make available, pay for it out of my own pocket. Uh, the radio stations don't subsidize me on this and uh, make you a good activist. What will happen is if you have Twitter, you'll be able to tweet your uh, senators. If you have email, you'll be able to email your senators. You will also see a phone button. And if you touch the phone button, it will immediately connect you to, to your senator's office, wherever you are in the nation. And all you need to do, and, and this is a, I, I, I sat around and I, I thought about this. I, I talked to several friends of mine about this. And I thought, you know, I, I what I want to do is I don't want to say, hey, uh, defend the president or support the president, because some of you listening out there, not, not those of us in Georgia, thankfully, but elsewhere, you got Democratic senators. And and the most bipartisan message is, you know what, just let the voters decide. We are, uh, we're less than a year from the presidential election. There is, this is a waste of time. The outcome is already a foregone conclusion. Just let the voters decide. Stop wasting our time. Let the voters decide. So that's the message. I, I, I've pre-written the emails. You don't even have to write the emails. I've pre-written emails, uh, random emails. Um, so uh, you're, you won't be sending the same email to everyone because then it's like, aha, it's just a, it's an, it's a bot doing this. No, I, I wrote a batch of different emails, but they all basically say the same thing. I'm one of your constituents. And I want you to end this impeachment trial and let the voters deal with this in November. And those who are concerned can hold the president accountable at the ballot box. It'll tweet your member, your senator as well. And, you know, it's very important here. You, you don't if you're a political activist, you don't just want to randomly call uh, the House of Representatives or the Senate. You want to actually call your person. Why? Because you are a constituent. So when I design these, this email system and this texting system, I say uh, for the tweets and, and the emails that I pre-write for you that I am a constituent and I want you to do X, Y, and Z. They pay, even the Democrats will pay attention to you if you're flooding their office. Now, those of you who aren't in Georgia, I realize most of the show is in Georgia. Some of you are out of Georgia listening to this program. I, I can see some of you, somebody up in Wisconsin, just, just use the system. Um, but I realize you're thinking, oh, I got a Democrat. That's true. But if you can flood their office, they pay attention. If you and all of your friends flood the office right now and and let them know, I, I, I want to deal with this at the ballot box. I don't want you to deal with this. That actually does have an impact. Even among Democrats, it has an impact, particularly in the Senate. Um, because some of these, like whoever just did this in Wisconsin, if you're listening, I realize you, you got Ron Johnson up there, but you also got a Democrat and they're going to pay attention because Wisconsin's a swing state. So again, if you miss this, text the word impeachment 
to 52886 that's the number now if you're in the if you're in the action army if you've if you've previously texted to join the army uh, you're going to get an email here very shortly uh, that will have a link to the system uh, you can pull it up on your cell phone it, it's a little form you put in your name your email address and, and your physical address and it says hey uh, based on your address we know you are in X state uh, here are your two senators are you ready to send emails you click the button that has the email and it boof it goes and then it says do you have Twitter and you click the button yes and poof it goes then you click the button that says do you want to make a phone call and you're suddenly your phone rings and you hear my voice say i'm going to connect you to your senators now and away we go text impeachment to 52886 Uh, my job keep you entertained make you laugh on occasion maybe or say something naughty in your car man y'all i nearly did that the other day so i was in atlanta i realized tangent i was in atlanta uh, and if you've ever been into Atlanta, you know where the, the Episcopal Cathedral is there. What is it? St. Mark, St. Luke's. It's, it's one of the gospel writers. And I'm trying to turn on this to East Andrews. Um, and no, it's not St. Andrews Cathedral. And I'm trying to turn there and everybody stops except one woman in a BMW SUV. It's always a woman in a BMW SUV. It always is. And she's texting while driving and doesn't even see me. And I'm on the phone with my 14-year-old, and I say, and I almost said a very bad word. I almost said a very, very bad word. And I caught myself. And my daughter, I get through mother, and my daughter says, Dad! I explain what happened, and she says, I'll allow it. <laughs> I was so embarrassed, though. My potty mouth is going to... I have to constantly repent. It's part of my sanctification. Okay, we need to move on from my bad language. Uh, the aftermath of Virginia. That's what I've got next. I, I, I played for you part of this media montage yesterday. I want to play for you again. This, this uh, Newsbusters put this together because now we know the, the gun rights protest in Virginia ended. There was not a shot fired. There was no violence. It was not a bunch of white nationalists. This was the coverage in the morning before the protest began on CNN and MSNBC. Right now, thousands of gun rights activists, white nationalists, militia groups all swarming the Virginia state capitol. There are a lot of people nervous about what's going to happen. Authorities in Richmond are on high alert. It could be a tense day. Such polarization, what may happen in Virginia. Several hate groups, supposedly some white nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalist groups. White supremacists. White supremacists. White supremacists. White extremists. This entire rally stands in, in opposition to the meaning of this day. Virginia on the edge. How concerned are you that there might be some people in this crowd that may want to get violent? There's certainly a lot of concern here. Raising fears of a dangerous confrontation. There could be violence. And there is real concern there about what the intention is behind this. There's a lot of concern about the potential for violence. It sparked violence. Tensions high in Virginia may cause violence there. North, I'm clearly trying to avoid another Charlottesville. Yeah. In Charlottesville. Could see a repeat of what we saw in 2017 in Charlottesville. Similar to what we saw in Charlottesville. Worrying about a repeat of Charlottesville. Horrible 2017 Charlottesville disaster. You look at what happened in Charlottesville. The two sides clashed in Charlottesville. Men walked through the capital in Virginia carrying weapons of war. Many demonstrators 
are in fact heavily armed. Heavily, heavily armed. Heavily armed. Look at the gear. What is this all about? Militia groups. Armed militia. These militia groups. Far-right militias. Militia. Militia groups. Far-right extremists. 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 Look, those threats which caused the governor to call for a state of emergency have simply not emerged. The police very clear in saying that they have not had a single arrest uh, during this rally. Not a single arrest. Now, uh, you listen to this anchor on MSNBC describe what happened yesterday in Virginia. Also right now, massive protests starting this minute in Virginia. This is the scene in Richmond. They put white nationalists, militia groups, and supporters of background checks for gun purchases all in one place. And a lot of folks and justifiably so are worrying about a repeat of Charlottesville in 2017. We're keeping a very close eye on the scene there. A very close eye on the scene there. Um, yeah. They really, really, you know, you could see from some of the people covering the gun protest that they really were upset there wasn't violence. I mean, you, you really could see it in reporters. Even some of the reporters who were tweeting were tweeting things like, people are saying this wasn't a violent protest, but all these people had guns there, so it was still violent. I kid you not, there were reporters tweeting this and progressive activists that they made people scared by having their guns there. So it was a violent protest. People were afraid to speak up because they might get shot. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. The media went out of their way to define the people who were showing up in Richmond, Virginia, as a bunch of racists, white nationalists, neo-Nazis. Uh, it was a, a um, multiracial, multiethnic a group of people who showed up and uh, engaged in their First Amendment right to petition, to assemble, to to tell their government they did not want their gun rights taken away. And the media went into overdrive to define these people ter terribly. It's unfortunate, um, and, but it's not surprising. That's what the media does on these sorts of situations. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Wow, there actually are people who are listening. 98 of you have, have in the last 20 minutes, uh, engaged the Action Center. Uh, Andrew, Mark, Stephen, Susan Kelly, Robert, Gene, Alan, Tracy, Matthew, Stephen, Michael, Charlene. Thank you for doing that. Uh, the rest of you, if you want to text the word impeachment, to 52886, uh, you'll be plugged into the Eric Erickson Show and the Resurgent Action Center, and uh, you will be able to email or and or tweet and or make a phone call to your U.S. Senator through the Action Center uh, and uh, tell them to get in this impeachment nonsense and just let the voters decide in November. Uh, I, so this is happening right now. And uh, I, I pride myself in being able to get to current happening news. This is blowing up right now on social media. Uh, the Hollywood reporter has released an, an interview conducted with Hillary Clinton. And um, they ask her whether she would endorse Bernie Sanders if he gets the Democratic nomination. Here's what uh, Hillary Clinton says. This is a direct quote from Hillary Clinton. I'm not going to, I feel like I should use the Wicked Witch of the West voice. Your little dog too. I, I'm not going to go there yet. 
we're still in a very vigorous primary season. I will say, however, that it's not only him, it's the culture around him. It's his leadership team. It's his prominent supporters. It's his online Bernie bros and their relentless attacks on lots of his competitors, particularly the women. And I really hope people are paying attention to that because it should be worrisome that he has permitted this culture, not only permitted it, he seems to really much support it. If you don't know what the Bernie bro phenomenon is, it is a bunch of um, mostly white uh, basement dwelling, overly privileged potheads who go out of their way to defend Bernie Sanders online and are deeply, deeply sexist. Um, they, you know, they, they think it is, is super cool to make all sorts of cracks uh, when they're not trying to be the, the beta men getting in the pants of progressive women. It, it really is just a disgusting thing to see. You, you've got this, this uh, what is it, Crap House uh, something or other podcast, and, and uh, they throw around all sorts of uh, foul language and, and puff themselves up, and we're going to tear down the capitalists, and we're going to, to put them in, in concentration camps and re-education camps and, and kill the billionaires, and, and they say all sorts of stuff, and of course, they've never even fired a gun in their life. They wouldn't know how to do it, but this is the Bernie bro phenomenon, uh, a, a bunch of emasculated young men trying to pretend that they're something that they're not. And it is a uniquely Bernie Sanders phenomenon, you know, at least with Ron Paul, Ron Paul, when Ron Paul was around and in politics, he had something very similar, except it was a lot of guys who you knew actually knew how to use a gun and and could go out and hunt and and live off the land. And the Bernie bros live in Brooklyn in basements, uh, typically their parents' basements. And yet they say all sorts of really vile stuff particularly about women, particularly about the female candidates. Uh, they're, they're not good people. Uh, they hate religion. They hate capitalism. They, they hate the country. They hate uh, anyone who stands in Bernie Sanders' way. And they were relentless in uh, 2016 saying horrible things about Hillary Clinton. People focus on all the, the, the stuff that Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters said, the locker up stuff and whatnot. But the Bernie bros were, were equally, if not worse than that. And she's calling him out. Well, she, she's gone beyond that now. It looks like other stuff has, has come up. The New York Times uh, has this conversation uh, profile of the conversation as well. Uh, Matt Stevens of the New York Times says that uh, he was in Congress. This is a direct quote, Hillary Clinton. He was in Congress for years. He had one senator support him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to work with him. He got nothing done. He was a career politician. It's all just baloney, and I feel so bad that people got sucked into it. Yowzer. Yowzer. Um, she was asked, now, this appears to be, um, that appears to be a statement from 2016. Uh, so let me let me get my, my ducks in a row here. This appears to be the Hollywood Reporter interview recirculating from 2016, Hillary Clinton. That's what this is. She was asked by the New York Times, asked by the New York Times if she still stood by her 2016 criticisms of Bernie Sanders. She says, yes, she still stands by the criticisms. And in response to a question about whether she would endorse, she says, I'm not going there yet. We're still in a very vigorous campaign season. You know, the Democrats are really actually starting to get nervous out. They're about the Democrats. They're, they're really starting to get nervous about the primary system. And they're really starting to get nervous as well um, because they're just not sure Joe Biden has what it 
takes to go against Trump. They, they don't know. And so the infighting has broken out. Uh, the DNC party leadership is upset. We, yeah, we, I Listen, I intend to spend a lot of time today on impeachment. I do. But there's other stuff going on, and we all know how it's going to happen with impeachment. There's no reason to treat it as this monumentally significant thing when it's not really, uh, given what we know is going to happen. But I, I do want to wait, walk you through the rules and stuff. We'll do that. But when we come back, the Democratic Party uh, is starting to melt down over the Democratic primary as the as the rhetoric between the candidates gets very on point. And, oh, I've got some AOC audio we need to play. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sat down for an interview and wait until you hear what she thinks about the Democratic Party. We will go there when we come back. This is Eric Erickson. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Well, CNN has hired John Harwood of CNBC as their White House correspondent. He is actually a uh, highly partisan person, uh, deeply political, deeply Democrat. So very clear CNN seems to be headed towards being the the, um, high information MSNBC. The, the 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 PBS NPR version of MSNBC, uh, which makes you wonder where a PBS NPR uh, go. My goodness gracious. Okay. Um, the phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the number. I want to play one more bit out of Virginia before we get into the meltdown of the Democratic Party and AOC. Uh, MSNBC's Chris Hayes. Listen to this uh, because it's a, it's a perfect segue into some of this other nonsense that we're hearing from the Democrats on this. Deemed a danger to themselves or others from possessing weapons. Both of those efforts have stalled. That, however, did not stop 22,000 people from turning out in opposition to these laws. And state officials were very concerned in the run-up to today's rally, hoping to prevent a repeat of the 2017 Charlottesville Confederate Monument rally in which a right-wing activist murdered a counter-protester. Concerns were so high, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency banning weapons from the Capitol grounds. The good news is that no one got hurt today. No one discharged their weapon. That was partly, we should note, the result of what appears to be some very good law enforcement work last week when the FBI nabbed several members of a violent white supremacist group called The Base, which, by the way, translates into Al-Qaeda in Arabic. This is a group that modeled their group after another terrorist group. Law enforcement officials say they planned on attending the rally and that they were in possession of a functioning automatic rifle. But the inescapable fact of this kind of event is that, yes, it's peaceful protests, it's First Amendment protected speech, But the implicit and explicit message of a bunch of heavily armed people marching on the state's capital is this. Don't you dare enact your policies. If you do, we will use these guns against you. Wait, implicitly and explicitly that we will use our guns against you. This is how he interprets it as as opposed to we're here and we're voters and there's a large number of us. And do you really want to upset us because we'll go to the polls and turn you out of office? It's amazing how... When a progressive sees gun rights supporters, their first inclination is to think, oh, they're going to murder everybody. They're going to murder everybody. You know, if guns cause violence, the casualty list yesterday should have been phenomenal, but it wasn't. I, I got to say, and, and this isn't this, I think it's Beckett Adams from the Washington Examiner uh, who made this point that it, not since the movie Joker has the media been upset about the lack of violence happening. If you recall the movie Joker when it came out, uh, that is the uh, the movie about uh, the Batman villain Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix. 
the media spin on it. And I got to be really honest with you. Um, I genuinely believe and I I know enough to to have an educated opinion on this. Let, let me just put it that way. Uh, I know enough people who support this thesis who would know about it. Uh, that I think I'm right in this uh, when I say that what actually happened was the Disney PR machine went into overdrive and the Disney PR machine uh, worked very, very hard to smear the movie Joker to uh, push it down to the ballot box because Disney wanted to own the superhero uh, supervillain ballot box. And so uh, people uh, connected to Disney PR, uh, I-, I believe, pushed out the story about the Joker movie that it was going to cause violence, that it was a the movie for incels. So this this phenomenon. Um, I, I, I think most of you who listen are sane, normal, grounded people, and so you don't actually know what this phenomenon is. Unfortunately, I make my living on radio and, and on the Internet, so I, I have to pay attention to this sort of stuff. Um, the incel is involuntarily celibate. If you'll recall, there was some guy who was a shooter who referred to himself as an incel. It's something from off the Internet where, where basically a dude can't uh, get a chick, uh, has, has no girlfriend, uh, has no no relations, uh, no no sexual relations in particular, and he's angry about it, and he lashes out at society. And this is a movie for for the downcast, the outcast, uh, the, the the people who who can't get dates, uh, who have to pay for sexual relations, among other things. And the the spin was that the Joker, all these people were going to see the Joker, and they were going to be inspired to violence, just like in the movie. They were going to be inspired to violence. And this was a huge story. It genuinely was a huge story. And that was the spin on Joker. And then the movie came out, and it made a billion dollars, and there was no violence. And the wind went out of the sails of some of these people who were reporting this. It very clearly was a PR push by a competing firm to try to drive down the box office to scare people away that there was going to be a mass shooting or some such at the movie theaters. And who has the most to gain by that? Disney. Disney, who wants to own the the superhero movies. And yet here comes a a really good, I mean, it's Oscar-nominated. Uh, and, and may very well win the Oscar, unlike Black Panther, which was Oscar nominated. and Everyone knew it wasn't actually going to win. Um, this is, I'm sure Disney, I, I guarantee you, Disney is going to do some sort of opposition campaign to, to Joker winning um, because they, they don't want uh, Warner Brothers to win an Oscar for a superhero movie. In any event, uh, the same thing very much happened with the uh, with this movie, with or not with this movie, with this protest, the protesters decided to show up peacefully. It was multi-ethnic, multi-racial men, women, children all showing up to say they want their gun rights protected, denouncing progressive measures in the state legislature. And the media went after them, savaged them, called them white nationalists, said they were racist. And now you got, got Chris Hayes on MSNBC saying that that they the mere fact that they showed up with their guns to show people they weren't scared, they weren't going to be intimidated, that that was, in effect, impl- an implicit threat to violence. Only on MSNBC could we get there with this. And, you know, I got to say that this is one reason I think the Democrats still have trouble in November. There are a lot of warning signs for Republicans, and, and I don't want to dismiss the warning signs for the GOP, because there are. And whether or not you support the president or not, you 
you need to understand that there are some warning signs for the GOP headed into November. Uh, one of the most consistent telling data points that has been going on for a year now is that a very slim majority of independent voters, it, it was at 51%, it's like 50.5% of independent voters want to vote against the president next year. Independent voters tend to lean to the right. Moderate voters tend to be Democrats who don't want to be Democrat. Independent voters tend to be Republican who don't want to identify as Republican. And slightly more than 50% of them have been saying for a year now they want to vote against the president. But they're not going to go vote against the president unless they get someone like Joe Biden. They would sit at home and that might help the president. Um, but there's another data point that the GOP needs to worry about. And that data point is that the Democrat candidates combined have raised more money than Donald Trump. We've been focusing on the president's stellar fundraising numbers because they have been stellar. The president of the United States has just raised mint with these Democrats. The fundraising opportunities for the president of the United States with impeachment have been crazy. Here again, I played this audio yesterday, but this is Jonathan Swan. I'm playing it again because I love his accent. He is a super guy. Jonathan Swan is an incredible human being and a brilliant reporter, and he makes a great point. I'll just put one asterisk next to this. Impeachment has been great for business on the Trump campaign. They've raised a lot of money. Oh, have they ever? Have they ever? And the extent to which this has grown their fundraising base and actually really engaged the Republican uh, do uh, donors, but also the grassroots. They've collected data. They've already got a formidable data machine, text messages, Facebook. I mean, it's been significant. It has. They have been growing their war chest. They have been growing their data. They have been growing their supporters. They have been growing the political contact information. And you know they've got a neat technology. The Democrats actually employed this in 2012. And I, I, I want to put a benchmark here. If I could flag a show like this and, and come back to it in November, or do a See I Told You Show moment, this would be one of the moments that I would have to flag right here. In 2012, the Obama campaign unveiled some impressive technology on the campaign trail. The iPhone had been out for a while, and with the Obama app, if you downloaded the Obama app, it could get access to your contacts in your phone. And it would go through the contacts in your phone, and it would begin to send messages from you to those people saying, hey... I'm supporting Barack Obama. I wish you would too. Uh, here's a link if you want to get involved in your local campaign. And you would click the link uh, and it would immediately take you. If I had a friend and my address book said that they were in uh, Denver, Colorado, it would send them to a page where you could get involved in Denver, Colorado. If it didn't have my address in it, it just had my phone number, then it would go to a page where it would say, what's your zip code? You put in your zip code and it would take you directly to where you could get involved. And the media loved this. Very much like Facebook. I, I'm, I'm, I feel myself going on a tangent here, but what the heck. Uh, Facebook in 2012, what, Sasha Eisenberg wrote a, a ton of stories on how the Obama campaign was using Facebook way more dynamically than Mitt Romney. The Obama campaign was using technology impressively. The Obama campaign was able to reach out to people on Facebook and get people registered to vote on Facebook and get their message out on Facebook and bypass the media and fly under the radar and all these things. And it was all awesome and it was all cool. It was all fantastic. And then Trump. And now suddenly Mark Zuckerberg is bad. Facebook is bad. Technology is bad. So, so here's where I wanted, why I wanted to put bookmark on this because my guess is the Trump campaign is going to do something like Obama did in 2012. They're going to have a Trump app, and it's going to have access to your contacts. And when it has access to your contacts, it's going to send out text messages on your behalf to all your friends and say, hey, 
I want you to know I am voting for Trump in 2020. I really hope you'll consider it for the economy, for judges, uh, because the left has lost their mind. Click this link, find uh, volunteer opportunities in your area or make a donation or what have you. And the media is going to call it an invasion of privacy. The Trump team will do exactly what Obama did in 2012, and the media will denounce it and say it's an evasion in privacy. You're inappropriately getting your contact books. They'll demand that Apple and, and Google kill it off their, their iPhone and, and Android operating systems, and it will be in, in high dungeons. In the same way in, in 2016, Facebook was vilified because maybe 25,000 people were affected uh, by the by the Facebook advertising, maybe twenty five thousand at, at the most. That's being generous, and they they'll they'll assail it. They don't like the technical proficiency uh, that's happening, but all of this is playing to the president's advantage. All of it is impeachment is uh, the economy is taxes are the Democrats going left is and now the fighting from the Democratic Party is making people lose their mind I want to I want to play Molly Ball Molly Ball very nice lady uh, used to work for the Atlantic at time back in 2015 she actually came to my house she she decided to do a profile of me as the most influential conservative in America I know I know but still it was very flattering most influential conservative in America uh, that was her profile of me in 2015, and uh, it was a multi-page. I mean, they had a photographer down. Uh, it, it was something to behold, and she's on CNN now. She's a CNN contributor. Listen to her talk about the, the fear within the Democratic Party now, the, the, the worries, I guess I should say, of the Democrats. And you, did, you had a bunch of progressive groups come together and issue a sort of unity statement. Many of them have endorsed Sanders. Some have endorsed Warren uh, because there is, I think, a level of it's I don't think it's too much to call it panic among the Democratic base about a potential splintering. And I think we have seen candidates all over the spectrum be punished by voters when they're perceived as going negative too strongly. Uh, the irony is that within the Democratic base, the, the candidates uh, fan bases are quite negative toward right, each other, right. right? There are a lot of Bernie people who hate Elizabeth Warren and vice versa, and, and you see the same thing with, with some of the moderate candidates. The, can, the supporters are quite passionate, but they don't want to see the actual candidates go too far because there's a fear of splintering the base and they're all preoccupied with beating Trump. Uh, and also just because I think there, there's a desire for uh, whoever the nominee is to to be able to to rise above and to be able to be a unifier, but and so now you have a lot of candidates trying to fill that role. Uh, but it's it's tough after well, you've had these fights. And it's going to be tough to get along. Listen, here's data that doesn't get covered very frequently. Enough Bernie Sanders supporters voted for Donald Trump in 2016 in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and uh, Pennsylvania. Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and where was the other one? Iowa? I think Iowa. That enough of them voted for Donald Trump that had they voted for Hillary Clinton, she would be president right now. Particularly Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Donald Trump won those states with 70,000 votes. And there were something like 75,000 people in those states who were Bernie Sanders supporters who refused to vote for Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders supporters are Bernie Sanders supporters, and they will cut off their nose to spite their face. They will go for Donald Trump if it's not Bernie Sanders, and, and the Democrats know it, and they don't know what to do with that. That's the problem here. 
Um, they, they don't really know how to, other than handing the race to the to Bernie Sanders, they don't know what to do. And the problem with handing the race to Bernie Sanders is that intuitively the Democrats know the polling's really bad for Bernie Sanders in the fundamentals. That he's got a fired up rabid base at parity with Donald Trump's base. It's true. His base is at parity with Donald Trump's hardcore base. The problem is a lot of voters will sit home and some voters will go with Donald Trump because Bernie Sanders is so far to the left, way further left than the public, way further left than the nation as a whole. We even way further left than a number of people in the media. And a lot of people in the media are so far left, they don't even recognize how far left they are. They think they're at the center when they're very far left. And even a lot of people in the media look at Bernie Sanders and say, ah, dude, you actually really are a commie. And that's not good for the Democrats. At this point, the Democrats are really loving the fact that this impeachment trial could go on for a while because he keeps Bernie Sanders in the Senate and Joe Biden on the campaign trail. I'm behind on sending recipes. I'll make that happen. You can text recipe to 33777. Get on the recipe list. I don't sell the list. I, it, it's not for sale. You don't get ads. You don't get spam. You just get a recipe. Uh, once a week, if I remember to send it, uh, text the word recipe to 33777. Speaking of re recipes, um, this is for all of you, wherever you are listening to my voice right now, uh, as long as you're in Georgia. Uh, and probably should be those of you listening on stations south of I-20, but but that's okay. Um, those of you in North Georgia, yeah, eh, two, three-hour drive, it would be doable. Um, those of you on WMAC right now in Macon, you, you need to listen. The, those of you in Middle Georgia, those of you down in, in South Georgia need to listen. Uh, I'm doing this to avoid getting in trouble with my wife right now. This is very, very important. And if you don't listen to me right now and help me out, uh, my wife is going to be upset with you too. And she's tall and owns lots of guns and drives, rides a Harley. So there you have it. My wife is a road captain for the local hog chapter. If you don't know what the hog chapter is, God bless you. Uh, the, the hog chapter is the Harley owners group. Uh, my wife, a couple of years ago, was diagnosed with cancer and pulled the I have cancer card on me. She had always wanted a Harley, and by God, she got a Harley. She got a Harley fat boy. She actually named it Fat Boy Sue. Her, her, that, that's her motorcycle. If you see someone riding down the road with the license plate FB Sue, that that would be my better half, much 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 better half. And so the Harley owners group, uh, the these, uh, I, I swear she's like by 20, 30 years the youngest person in this group, and they they go riding off on Saturday mornings in search of meat and threes in rural Georgia. They love to go down to Eastman to, to what's the all-you-can-eat buffet down there? Um, Sidetrack Cafe. I think they just changed the name. Uh, or or uh, Justin's down in Butler. And they've, they've got some places they like to go. But one of her jobs is she's got to find new little hole-in-the-wall restaurants around Georgia for the Harley's owner group motorcycle rider, motorcycle gang to go to on a Saturday. So if you know of a small restaurant, not a chain, we're not looking for chain restaurants, looking for small hole-in-the-wall restaurants, particularly in South Georgia or Middle Georgia, we can get up to North Georgia. I think they'd like to ride up to the mountains, but that would be quite a hike for them just for lunch. I need restaurant recommendations to give to my wife. She has now asked me to do this three times, and I have forgotten, and she just texted me and said, you better do this. So I'm doing it. 
Uh, I need restaurant recommendations. Uh, if you got a small hole in the wall restaurant you love to go to in, in middle or south Georgia, please, you can email me, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at theresurgent.com. If you go to theresurgent.com, there's a contact box. You can do it there. You can call the show, 877-973-7425. That's 877-97-ERIC. But my goodness gracious, I'm going to do this again at the top of the hour because we got a couple other stations that come on. Uh, yes, it is ridiculous, but uh, my wife has demanded and I do what my wife says. So there you have it. If you got a hole in the wall restaurant that is motorcyclist friendly, let me know because my wife wants to bring her gang of, of retiree motorcyclists and herself <laughs> to your restaurant. Y'all, my wife is awesome. I love my wife. She scares me sometimes. Uh, she's trying to get Chris Burns uh, to go get a motorcycle with her. And I keep telling Chris, dude, you are too much like me. You you will die. Uh, get lots of life insurance before you get on that motorcycle. I, I do not ride. To answer your question that I know all of you want the answer to, no, I do not ride a motorcycle. I have no desire. And no, I'm not sitting on the back of her motorcycle in that seat. I know what it's called. You don't have to point that out. Not going to happen. Uh, I, I will cheerfully stay home and and watch play with my kids while my wife goes riding on her motorcycle. That is her therapy, and it does her good, and she's very desperate, but it's too cold for her to get on her motorcycle because she's got lung cancer, and being in, in cold weather uh, with her lungs is not a good thing. So we try not to deal with that. Now, when we come back, I want to get a little philosophical with you when we come back on this impeachment stuff. I got opinions, as you might. I, I also want to give you analysis. I, I think my my job is better served giving you analysis of the situation than just giving you talking points. I don't like to give you talking points. I think it's nonsensical. You can listen to plenty of talk radio stations that want to throw you red meat, get you fired up, and you learn actually nothing. I, I actually want to talk to you. But I got some philosophical points I think we should make. I realize don't fall asleep in the philosophy. I'll liven it up for you when we come back right here on the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia and now the nation and on the Internet. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Yeah, we do need to talk about impeachment a little bit. Uh, but a, a couple of housekeeping notes. This, this is the important one. This is the important. I, I feel compelled to say this. Uh, because my wife tells me, and I'm scared of my wife, <laughs> uh, my, my wife, I, I mentioned at the end of the last hour and I got to do it again. Cause we had a couple of stations come online that this would be relevant to my wife is the road. One of the road captains for her Harley owners group, the hogs, uh, in middle Georgia. She bought her uh, motorcycle at Harley Davidson in, in Macon as the, what, um, uh, Mr. Grover is the oldest uh, operating Harley dealer in the country, the longest operating Harley dealer in the country. He, fantastic family there. And my wife loves him and loves being on her motorcycle. It's been great therapy for her since she got diagnosed with cancer. One of the things that the Harley owners group does, the, the hogs do, I, I, I swear my wife by 30 years, probably the youngest person in this group. And uh, they, on Saturday mornings, get up, they go have breakfast, and then they ride to a meet-in-three, a, a, a small restaurant somewhere. It doesn't have to be a meet-in-three, but a small restaurant, non-chain, somewhere in Georgia. Uh, they want a locals restaurant that is biker-friendly. 
And if you have a recommendation anywhere in Georgia, uh, particularly uh, Athens area and south, really, because uh, it's a bit of a bit of a height to get further north. Although, you listen, if one of you up there in Clarksville got a great restaurant, I'm sure they're willing to make the ride up. Um, they, they've taken two and a half, three hour motorcycle rides before. So they just want a good meal at a small local place. They want to bring business to you. If you got a small restaurant that is not a chain and, uh, you won't, you're okay with a, a group of bikers coming, you can call the show 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425 or uh, to avoid making my producer mad, you just email me Eric, E-R-I-C-K at theresurgent.com. If you go to theresurgent.com there's a contact form there and you can use that as well. My wife just, she, her job is to find new restaurants for them to go to. They love to go down to Eastman uh, what is it? Sidetrack Cafe down there by the railroad tracks in Eastman. They love and Justin's in, in uh, Butler. Uh, they like going down to, to Barrow Automotive. If you've never been to Barrow Automotive, a heck of a gun store down there, too. I need new gun stores to explore in the state of Georgia as well. Uh, if you want to give me those. Nonetheless. OK, uh, that is housekeeping item number one. Housekeeping item number two, the Senate impeachment trial begins uh, at noon today, and I'm going to try to give you every morning uh, when the show starts a kind of a, an overview of what happened the day before. In doing so, though, uh, I want to to take your phone calls. I'll answer any questions. We'll play lots of audio of what happened, but a lot of it's going to be boring, and I don't want to just fixate on impeachment. I don't want to fixate on impeachment because impeachment means nothing. Uh, it, nothing is going to happen. The president will be president in November, and that, my friends, is what you need to know. A year from today, we will swear at a new president of the United States, uh, and Donald Trump will be on that stage, whether he is the president being sworn in or the outgoing president. Uh, he's not going to be impeached. Now, uh, look at this. Uh, Mike, uh, I'm going to go to you first with a restaurant suggestion. Yeah, I was going to suggest Buckner's. In, oh, listen. Uh, it's in Jackson, Georgia. Yeah, so every every New Year's Day, the uh, the biker gang rides up there for lunch. Um, I, oh, okay. I, yeah, well, right. yeah, no, no, no. I, I appreciate it. It is a great suggestion. I will tell you, my wife is is the one person in her group who's not a Buckner's fan, and the reason uh. she's not is because her aunt, who was basically her grandmother, made the greatest fried chicken you would ever put in your mouth, and so nothing compares. And so she always gets disappointed when she goes to Buckner's because it's so close, but. It's just not. <laughs> but thank you very much for the suggestion. Buckner's is a good one. Um, so, all right, uh, there you have it. Now, I want to talk philosophically about impeachment. Well, listen, hey, it looks like the phone lines are lighting up over restaurants. Y'all know I'm fat. I like restaurant recommendations, too. Um, but I, I got to spend a few moments here. I want to speak philosophically about impeachment for a minute. If you're on hold, if you're calling in and you want to talk restaurants and whatnot, just give me a minute to make this point, please. I th know people who dislike the president, who on radio and television uh, do nothing but want to hump his leg. They they think they've got to be shoulder to shoulder with the president at all times, that they've got to, um, th th that somehow or another, they must stand with the president. They must uh, at all times 
uh, tell everyone that the president did everything perfectly and privately they see they don't like it. Uh, y'all, I will be very upfront with you. That's that's not my personality to come on here and, and tell you something I don't actually believe. Anything I tell you, I, I'm going to believe it. Uh, and I want you to know that I there are things about this president that I really don't care for, and I didn't support him in 2016, and I will support him in 2020, but I think he screwed up. I, I don't think he should have done what he did with Ukraine's president, and the proof of that is we're at impeachment. He knew people in the White House were out to get him. He knew there were people behind the scenes who wanted to get him, who were going to do everything they could to undermine him, and he made it easy for him to get him to this point. It was a stupid, boneheaded thing for him to do, and he should not have done it, and he should not be thrown out of office for it. Do I think it was wrong? Yes. Do I think impeachment is wrong? Yes. Uh, Do I think it is possible to believe in both things? Absolutely. He shouldn't have made the call. And and, and, you mind you, I, I, I couldn't care less. Make it an issue on the campaign trail. But here's the thing. 50% 50% of this country hates the president's guts and 50% of the country are going to uh, vote for him. The question is, is he going to get 50 plus one vote or, or 50 minus one vote and get reelected or not? Uh, we're in a political battle in this country. I don't believe this is the 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 uh, most important election of our lifetime. Every single politician now, I thought 2016 was the most important election of our lifetime. Before that, it was 2012. Everybody says that every four years. It's not. There's no such thing as a permanent political majority in this country. Um, If the Democrats win in 2020 and 2024, bring on Nikki Haley or Mike Pence or somebody and beat them. But this impeachment is a farce. Both sides are accusing the others of a show trial. If it was so damn important, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't have sat on it for a month. It's a show trial. It is. It absolutely is. But the Democrats will say, oh, it's the Republicans. They don't even call witnesses. You didn't want to call witnesses for Bill Clinton. Nothing is going to change. Go vote in November. Let the voters decide this issue. We are a bitterly divided nation. Having the United States Senate throw the president of the United States out of office based on a partisan impeachment where the Democrats never even made an effort to call all the witnesses and now want the Republicans to do their job in the Senate. Having a bitterly divided nation where the Democrats decide they're going to remove the president Having a bitterly divided nation where the Democrats can't get Republican ownership of this issue and they failed to do it. They didn't make the case to do it. And all they want to do is yell at you and tell you that you're a terrible, un-American person supporting unconstitutional behavior of the president if you don't support him. No. Put your partisan rhetoric aside for a minute and look at this country. We are a divided nation. And when we are this divided and you fail to make a partisan case, or go beyond a partisan case, to make an actual case, a constitutional case to impeach the president that gets buy-in from all political parties, you need to settle this at the ballot box. That's where partisan matters are decided in this country. They're not decided in the floor of the Senate. Oh, we're going to get a two-thirds vote. You're not going to get a two-thirds vote in the Senate. Everybody knows you're not going to get a two-thirds vote in the Senate. So what are you going to do? You're going to go around the country excoriating the people who refuse to go along with your partisan witch hunt. And yes, it is a partisan witch hunt. You people selectively ask people to show up and, and testify. You never fought for the people who might give you answers you didn't want. You then said, oh, well, it's the court's fault. It would take forever for the courts when you know damn well it wouldn't take that long for the courts to decide the matter. And now you're pushing it into the Senate after saying this is an emergency and the president is a threat to our national security and he's got to go. So let's sit on it for a month. And then you send it to the Senate and and you in the media together do a drip, drip, drip campaign of new allegations against the president. Oh, we really need to hear from these witnesses now. No, you should have heard from them when you were investigating it for impeachment and building the case. That was your job. 
Given how much Democrats like to subsidize people who don't work, it's no wonder that we got to this point where the Democrats did no work and want the Republicans to subsidize their effort in impeachment. Do this at the ballot box. Settle it at the ballot box. This is ridiculous to be doing this in the United States Senate. It is a waste of time. It is designed to further inflame and divide the nation. Let both sides fundraise off of it and get nothing out of it. It is a waste of everybody's time. It really is. Do I think what the president did was wrong? You're damn right. I think the president, what he did was wrong. I think it was stupid. I think he shouldn't have done it. It opened himself up to impeachment. It it was something no president should do. Republicans would be beside themselves if Barack Obama did this. And you know what? The Democrats wouldn't have impeached Barack Obama if he had done it. They would not. They would not vote to convict Barack Obama if they did it. They would come up with, oh, we got we got to worry about the the whichever Republican child it is. And how did they get this job? They weren't qualified for the job. How could it do? This was corruption on their part. Barack Obama was doing the right thing. They'd be making the exact same arguments the Republicans are making. You know how I know that the Democrats would be making the exact same arguments that the Republicans are making right now? Listen to this. This is from 1999. This is the American media. On the issue of witnesses in the Clinton impeachment trial. Ben, the whole issue has been a sham. It shouldn't have gotten this far. The House acted improperly in passing it on to the Senate. Why is your party dragging this thing out? Why is this happening? Why go through all this, uh, this business about witnesses? Do we really need more witnesses? It's going to add months to this thing. We should stop this. This bogus inflated uh, case. And get on with business of governance. Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? It's going to be an enormous distraction uh, to the White House and all kinds of issues that the Congress ought to be considering. There's a long line of of the people's business that seems to have been put aside and apparently is going to be put aside for weeks if not months now. We begin tonight with the voice of the people. The visitor who got up and shouted, God Almighty, take the vote and get it over with. God Almighty, the man said, take the vote and get it over with. You know who the hero of this whole thing is? It's the guy who stood up in the Senate gallery last week and said, good God, vote and get over with this, will you? This process is Stalinist. His actions certainly do not warrant impeachment. Is there is there not some concern of the public perception in, in some quarters, not all of them Democratic, that this is, in, in fact, a kind of effort at a, quote, coup. That herd of managers that was Dan from the House. <laughs> I mean, frankly, all they, all they were missing was white sheets. They were like night riders. One White House official told me today, in 20 years, he said, people will remember three things about this, that the president was impeached in the House, that he was acquitted in the Senate, and that the whole thing was a partisan hit job. Wow, sound familiar? That was the American media in 1999, the very same American media that right now wants this president impeached and thrown out of office because he said bad things about them. The roles are reversed. The Democrats, though, have failed to get any Republicans to support them. More Democrats supported impeaching Bill Clinton than Democrats have been able to get Republicans. And they can mutter in their sleep in the fetal position all they want that Donald Trump can go on Fifth Avenue, shoot someone, and the Republicans would still defend him. And you and I both know that's a lie. The Democrats have failed to build a case. What the president did, he shouldn't have done. But what the Democrats are doing, they shouldn't be doing. Let the voters decide this in November. Don't break apart, the, the, the further fracture this nation over something that the Democrats, when they failed to do a thorough job, just let the voters deal with it. And then let the chips fall where they may. And the Democrats can scream all day that, oh, the president's trying to steal the election. The president's trying to steal the election. We'll work hard. If it ain't close, he can't cheat. 
You've built a mythology over the Russians stealing the election, which wasn't true, so that you can obfuscate and, and redirect blame to everyone else except yourselves over this impeachment. No one stole the election in 2016. Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. In 2020, build a case, unite the people, and throw the president out of office at the ballot box. The fact that you're doing this suggests you can't do that. And that undermines your case out of the gate. This is a waste of our time. We need to deal with this as voters at the ballot box, not let irresponsible partisan hacks try to get TV fame and TV contracts when they're out of Congress do this on the floor of the Senate. Uh, it's not appropriate for something like this. They failed to build a case that could transcend partisanship, and they failed to build a case at all because they refused to call any of the witnesses who actually had real information from inside the White House. They claimed that the courts were the ones who were the impediment because it would take too long. We all know that's nonsense. And yet now they're demanding the Senate Republicans do exactly what they said they couldn't do. Why? Because this is a partisan scam. It is designed to fundraise. It is designed at this point to help Joe Biden by keeping Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders trapped in the Senate. And it's designed to do nothing but further divide us. Hey, listen, I, I I clearly have listened. You know, every once in a while you do a show like this and you, you give out the number repeatedly. People don't call in. You say, yeah, you see, listen, that's the great thing about having the, the texting app. I can see that there actually are people listening. I appreciate that you guys actually just want to hear me talk. That, that makes me feel good. Um, but I got restaurant recommendations coming in. Uh, Randy, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hello, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Listening to you actually on I twenty east of Conyers. So Fantastic. We're still getting the signal here. Great. So you got a restaurant Just recommendation? A, absolutely. Uh, the Velvet Elvis in Milledgeville, Georgia, is definitely one they should stop by. The Velvet Elvis. Yes. In Milledgeville, Lord, that sounds like that, that would be something correct. I'd want to go to. <laughs> it actually is, especially the steaks on Friday night. Shouldn't miss one. <laughs> All right. Uh, Randy, listen, I appreciate you listening very much. Sure enough. And I uh, also would like to mention the Ensoro Foundation from uh, the fact that you were talking about foster kids uh, aging out uh, of uh, foster homes and everything back on Friday. The, uh, the Ensoro's Foundation? In the Ensoro Foundation, yes, that's N-S-O-R-O. And foundation, uh, what he uh, has established there is uh, funds so that kids who age out are able to go to college. Uh, oh, wow. Please check out the website. Yes, it's definitely something. I know you, you do a lot of networking. Uh, matter of fact, we had the Starfish Ball Saturday night. Uh, Kelly Loeffler was there, the Atlanta mayor. She celebrated her 50th birthday uh, with us there Saturday night. Uh, and the, the auction brought in... Uh, it did well. Let's say that. Great. I will definitely check that out. Uh, Randy, thank you so much. Safe travels down the road. Let's see. Do I have time? Yes, I do. Johnny and Macon, welcome. Hey, Eric. Two things. Restaurant, Motorheads in uh, McDonough, Georgia. Motorheads. All right. And quit calling them a game. Your <laughs> wife will be able to explain that to you. <laughs> I, li I know. I, I, I do it because I tease her. Uh, out of habit. Yes, I, I, I do know the difference, uh, but yes, okay. they're not you, a gang. If it's, you're doing it to tease, then keep teasing. But I, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Listen, I, 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 I do know that it, I have been highly educated now in, in, in motorcycle lingo and, and, you know, I, I, for the first little while, my wife kept talking about cages, like, well, what, what are they doing to you in, in this, in this group? And then I realized they're talking about people who ride in cars. <laughs> yeah. But I'm learning all sorts of stuff, Johnny. If they've got somebody in their group that knows the back way, the back way is a beautiful ride. All right. You can get there from the interstate real easy, but you can go the back roads, too, and it's a beautiful ride. See, okay, so you'll appreciate this because this is the thing I'm learning, Johnny. If if there is right. a way to go from point A to point B that takes 15 minutes and there is a way that goes from point A to point B that takes two hours and, and 30 minutes, they're going to go the two hour and 30 minute way to take that 15 minute ride just so they can get a sightseeing tour. Right. <laughs> and, and I totally get it. Yep. Yep, she she's and she's, how long has she been riding? So I guess it, it's now been I guess about two and a half years that she's been riding. Tell her to go to the Dragon's Tail one time. You know she wants to go up there, and she was supposed to go up there last year, and uh, wound up uh, everybody who's going the, the weather got bad, and somebody got sick, so they didn't go. Uh, but she went up. There's one in Tennessee. It's not the Tail of the Dragon. It's one near there, and it actually apparently has more turns than the Tail of the Dragon. And she went on a women's motorcycle uh, tour. It was that Harley had put together, and, and they went through there. And now she really does want to go on the Tail of the Dragon. Yeah. Well. We miss you here in our local government. We need help. Oh, in yes. <laughs> Listen, the worst job I ever had was making city council. Gracious. Uh, that It was bad for my sanctification. Look, look I appreciate it. I'll, I'll let you go there. But, yeah, I oh, man, y'all – City council, if you if you know somebody, to Johnny's point there, I, I was on city council in Macon, Georgia. And honest to goodness, it was the worst job I ever had. It was a part-time job. It was $10,000 a year to be on that city council. And I was on CNN at the time. There was an election season, and I started having to miss stuff. And there was this little poindextery uh, uh, newspaper reporter who was saying, well, you're not in city council. You're not in city council. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I've got a real job. I had to be on the campaign trail, but I, I was the chairman of a committee. I was trying to make all the committee meetings and stuff. And then you would get constituents. I had this little jerk who lived down the street from me who actually came over to my house one day and started yelling at me because someone. So I lived in a neighborhood. This is way more information than you wanted, I'm sure. But a drunk driver had taken out a guardrail. And this is when Obama was given stimulus dollars and the city decided to get stimulus dollars to put that guardrail in. And it took like six months longer than it should have. And had a guy come in my yard and start yelling at me about the freaking guardrail and tried to explain to him that it was Obama funds. And then he thought I was making a partisan point and he got more out of shape. And I thought I'm going to have to call the police to throw this guy off my lawn. He's like, you can't do that. Yeah, you're my employee. You work for me. It's like, I do not. I closed the door in his face. Gosh, some people are obnoxious, like the Democrats doing impeachment. We'll be back here on the Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. Don't say I never do anything for you guys. I'm making it super, super easy for you. I've been telling you about the, the army of activists and how you can be a part of it by texting army to 33777. I've been telling you, it's not just for those of us here in Georgia. It's for all of you nationally. Uh, when, when something is, is right for you nationally to be engaged, then um, I, I, I'm, I'm letting you know. And I want to make it easy. I want you to get a sense of it. If you just want to see it in action, if you haven't had that chance, 
uh, the the way to do it is to text the word impeachment to five two eight eight six. Text the word impeachment to five two eight eight six. What will happen is you'll get a link back uh, in your messages. When you click the link, and in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk you through this just so you have a sense of now. I I already did it. I did it last night. I already got a nice note back from Kelly Leffler, as a matter of fact. Uh, but the number is five two eight eight six. And then the word that you send, all you do is you send the word impeachment. You got to learn how, you got to be able to spell it, impeachment, and you will get a text back and it will say, thanks for opposing impeachment. Click here to contact your senators now. You click the link and it goes to the resurgent and the Eric Erickson show activist portal. And it says, tell your senators, let the voters decide house Democrats failed to build a comprehensive case against the president. Now want the Senate to do the house's job. Tell your senator and and call your senator and tell him that this is a matter best left to the voters in November. So it'll ask you for your, your name and address and your email address, and then you click send email. And boom, it will send automatically an email to both of your senators uh, in Georgia, Senator Leffler, Senator Purdue, in Texas, Cruz, Corden, you get it. And then if you have Twitter, it'll say, do you want to tweet them as well? And you'll click the tweet button and you'll send tweets. It'll ask Twitter will pop up and say, do you authorize this app? You say yes. And it'll send tweets to your senators saying, I'm a constituent. That's key. You want to make sure they know you are a constituent, not just some random Joe on the Internet. You're actually one of their voters. And you're tweeting them saying, let the voters decide this. This is a waste of time. And then if you click the phone icon, It'll say, put in your phone number and you put in your cell phone number and and the moment you do it, your cell phone rings and the moment you answer, you hear my lovely voice in sterling HD quality saying, it's Eric Erickson. I'm going to connect you to your senator right now. Put in your zip code so I get you to the right person and you will put in your zip code and you will talk to your senator's office. You will burn up their phone lines and put the fear of God in them because you are engaged and they know anywhere in the nation this works. And I'm telling you, those of you who are sitting around saying, oh, this is it's the Democrats and, and my, my senator is a Democrat, they're not going to listen. No, you start lighting up their phone lines, particularly, I mean, those of you in Arizona, those of you in West Virginia, those of you in Montana, now Tester, he's going to vote for impeachment, but seriously, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania with, with uh, what's his name up there? Uh, not to me, the, the uh, what's his name? Anyway, um, they're going to pay attention when you're lighting up their phone lines and you're saying, let the voters deal with this in November. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Um, that will, that'll get their attention. Now, I want to spend a little more time on this and the issue of witnesses. I, I just saw, uh, in fact, Charlie sent it to me. Uh, see, I've been turning off my text messaging during the show because he yelled at me the other day for text messages during the show. So I'm not looking at text messages, but I found a link. Uh, Tim Poole, who's a describes himself as a disaffected liberal commentator and journalist from Vice, says, So Democrats rejected the witnesses the Republicans in the House wanted and are now shocked the Republicans are not giving Democrats what they're asking for in the Senate. Can we have some kind of mass impeachment of Congress? Amen and hallelujah. Here's Tim Scott, one of my favorite senators, the senator from South Carolina. Well, you just got to remember, Mr. Schumer wanted, wants witnesses now, but he didn't want witnesses under uh, President Clinton's trial. So uh, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. At the end of the day, he's right that they do have the opportunity to have votes. I look forward to voting no on any witness that was not a witness during the House. It is not our responsibility as senators to help improve or expand the case. The way that we understand the process, the House sends over a completed case 
and we make a decision based on that completed case. If the House doesn't like the case they sent over, then they need to do something in the House to change that case. But our responsibility as jurors is to hear the case, not add to it, not illuminate it, not expand it. Uh, that decision is a House decision and not a decision made by the jurors. That is a House decision. You're right. Now, here's Kristen pa- Kirsten Powers on CNN about this whole thing. Isn't it just I, common sense that if, if you're innocent and there are people who are working for you and know that you're innocent, he's maintaining his innocence. And the people who actually have firsthand information about that, wouldn't you want them to testify? And the only reason you wouldn't want them to testify is because they're not going to back up your story that you're innocent. I mean, That's not actually true. Uh, I I don't think she has a legal background, but that's not actually true. Uh, You may have exculpatory witnesses. And and again, full full disclosure caveats here, all the parameters. The Senate trial is not really a a legal trial. It's not a jury trial. I saw some op-ed by a left-wing University of Alabama professor in the Washington Post yesterday that there's no such thing as witness reciprocity. You're absolutely right. There's no such thing as witness reciprocity in a court of law. But this is a political issue. This is a political trial in the United States Senate. And so they get to call witnesses uh, who are exculpatory. Exculpatory means they, they can get you out of this. They, they can say you didn't do it. But here's the problem. Because the Democrats get to ask the witnesses virtually anything they want that they believe is uh, relevant, they can start going, they can do a fishing expedition with the questions with some latitude that opens new pathways to go back to the House and reopen an impeachment investigation of the president in some different angle. And I actually think that that's one reason the president doesn't want to call these people. Because, listen, the Democrats are already saying that they want to go back and have another bite at the impeachment apple. And if they already want to have another bite at the impeachment apple, why do this? Why, why, why go forward with this? At least, why do uh, why bring in a bunch of witnesses who can prove why? For example, why bring in Mick Mulvaney, the chief of staff, who can say no that the president had or the president had legitimate reasons for doing this? The president was worried about corruption. Uh, the Hunter Biden issue, he had been told, did not do X, Y, and Z. No, he shouldn't have done that. But you got the the chief of staff of the president under oath in the Senate. You start asking him ancillary questions and you make the case it's related and you hope that that uh, John Roberts isn't paying attention or thinks it is relevant. And you go down a road and you open you go down a new rabbit hole and then you go back to the house and you start all over again. It, it, it's it's a great line to say, oh, well, I think the president, if he wants a, you know, all of his witnesses, they're supposed to be exculpatory. He should have the exculpatory witnesses. But it's not true in practice. You don't even do that in a court of law, by the way. If someone, for example, just just for example, you're accused of selling drugs and you've got an eyewitnesses, you've got an eyewitness who knows you weren't selling drugs, you were selling firearms illegally and that witness gets on stand, witness X. Were you with the defendant that night? Yes, I was. Did he have drugs in his possession? No, he did not. Did he sell drugs that night? No, he did not. 
Did you see him using drugs? No, I did not. Did you see him selling anything? Well, yes. What did you see him selling? Guns. I mean, he's under oath. Got to have to tell the truth. It's directly relevant to that night. Why were the police confused? Why did they arrest the guy? Why did they think he was selling drugs? All this. Well, he wasn't selling drugs. He was selling illegal firearms out of the back of his car. Yes. You don't want that exculpatory witness on the stand to, to tell everybody, no, he wasn't selling drugs. I was with him. All he was doing was selling illegal firearms. <laughs> There, there may be another there there for the president that sends the House back to an impeachment investigation for something else. You don't do that. It sounds great. It's a wonderful talking point, and all the liberals are steel clapping. Yeah, exactly. If they were going to let him go, they, they would get on the stand. They, they would be up there saying, you're damn right, he didn't do it. He's innocent of this, except he may. They may say, well, you know, Rudy Giuliani told him this because he got it from Lev Parnas. And they're like, wait a second. The president said he hadn't talked to Lev Parnas. Let's investigate this further. You don't do it. Well, and then, of course, there is the issue of bribery because, you know, Nancy Pelosi said bribery. It was going to be all about bribery. The president was going to to be charged with bribery. It was a big deal. It was uh, everybody knew that this was bribery. Nancy Pelosi did the whole thing where she was convinced it was bribery. And and the whole world was supposed to agree that, in fact, the president was guilty of committing bribery. And that was going to be part of the impeachment investigation. And then the Democrats started looking at it. And I mean, here's Jackie Spear, one of the president's chief critics. Actually, Aaron, I have been speaking out about the potentiality of it being bribery for some time. The elements of bribery are there. You have a president using his official office, um, using taxpayer money to demand from a foreign government that they um, are bribed to do an investigation to dig up dirt on the president's opponent in the upcoming election. Uh, the corrupt intent is there as well in many ways. Uh, probably the most obvious is that they put the uh, transcript or the summary of that phone call on July 25th into a special server so that they could cover it up. Uh, not to mention the fact that there are many other uh, evidence of uh, corrupt intent in that the president has lied. He said that it was a verbatim uh, transcript when in fact it was a summary and uh, there is evidence now that um, things were kept out of that summary. But we have the corpus and the corpus is the summary of the telephone call which the president corroborated himself by releasing it. Remember all that? All the conversations. Remember Nancy Pelosi saying that as well? Nancy Pelosi. Here's here's Nancy Pelosi. Remember this? You talked about bribery a second ago. Yes, a bribery. That's a very serious charge. It's in the Constitution. Well, you know, uh, we're talking Latin around here. E pluribus unum from anyone. From anyone. Quid pro quo. Bribery. Bribery. And that is in the Constitution attached to the impeachment proceedings. So what was the bribe here? The bribe is to grant or withhold military assistance in return for a public statement of a, uh, a, of a fake investigation into uh, the, the elections. So could that's we a, that's at, bribery. Could yes. we be looking at an article of impeachment? Well, I don't know about that. We don't even haven't even made a decision to impeach. That's what the inquiry is about. And when the, the committees decide that, and they will decide what the articles are. But I am saying uh, that what is uh, the president has admitted to and says it's perfect, I said it's perfectly wrong. It's bribery. 
it's bribery. Well, it turns out that Steve Cohen, who is on the House Judiciary Committee, not exactly sure why bribery didn't make it into this whole thing if it was a super serious, major, big issue. Many Democrats, we've heard many Democrats say this was bribery. That's been used as certainly rhetoric. The Constitution is very clear that that is grounds for impeachment. Why did Democrats just not cite bribery in an article of impeachment? I don't know the reason for that. It wouldn't have hurt, but the people who helped us with drawing up the, uh, the articles were the most senior experts in this country on impeachment and on the Constitution. Uh, it was a student of Lawrence Tribe's who's written a book on this. Lawrence Tribe is a constitutional expert. He's a person who you'd go to. Tribe has said that Dershowitz's argument is, is way off base and, and, and a fallacy. Sure, but if, if the article of impeachment were, if, if he's also a constitutional expert, I will say that. Dershowitz certainly is. Yeah, Dershowitz, man, that guy, can, can I, can we just acknowledge he's kind of an embarrassment these days? I mean, he, he made this huge, big deal about um, Bill Clinton shouldn't be, or uh, the standards for impeachment for Bill Clinton, and you don't want OJ's lawyer on the trial, and on and on, and now he's just directly contradicting himself, and he's trying to say he's not, I, I don't, what is it? Why? Listen, one of my chief frustrations, and y'all all know it's true, and it makes you mad when I point it out, but y'all all know the people I'm talking about. We don't even need to go into names, but what is it about people who feel like they got to hump the president's leg, who they've just got to be in his, his orbit at all times, and, and they, they've got to coddle him and flatter him at all times? No, that's not being a real friend. I, You know, I... It's like the evangelicals and the president. You can be a Christian and support the president, and you can be a Christian and not support the president. But I got to tell you, when I listen to a lot of these evangelical leaders who go to the prayer groups, half of them are prosperity gospel heretics anyway, but it seems like they're, they are far more interested in what they can get out of the president than his soul. And I, I just, I think that real friends need to be interested in their friend's souls. I mean, you just don't be interested in just having a good time with your friend. I mean, are, are you actually interested in whether or not your friend is going to heaven or hell? I, I think in a real friendship, stuff like that should matter. And and I see these people, and it's just like, oh, what can I get from the president today? And in the process, they're willing to beclown themselves. I, I, I know the president of the United States. I have talked on the phone to the president of the United States multiple times. I have been to the White House. I have been into the presidential dining room. I have interviewed the president. I, I, The vice president and I are very good friends. We've known each other for more than a decade. And I have never felt compelled to, to flatter them at all times and never tell them they're wrong. And I, I don't know what this is within the conservative movement, within talk radio and the like, where everybody says, oh, Mr. President, your poop does not stink. It's You're like the goose that laid the golden egg. Every time you flush, it's another brick of gold. I don't know why people feel the need to do that. I, I've never understood it on the left or the right. And and you got these clowns like Dershowitz who are directly contradicting themselves for, from a, the Clinton trial decades ago. The Constitution and the law have not changed on this issue. To directly contradict yourself, and I realize you're a lawyer, you're going to say whatever you need to say to get your client off. I just, man, um, well, there's, there's, I'm not going to say that that would be offensive to, to some, uh, crude, but I just, it's, it's sad to see so many people and it's not just a phenomenon with this president. 
I don't understand people. I don't trust people who want to be so close to power that they're never willing to criticize. I, I think you got to be an honest friend. And honest friends sometimes tell their friends, don't do that. That's bad for you or bad for me or, or bad for your family or bad in, in this case for the president, bad for the country. And everybody wants to be a sycophant around the president. And, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, despite what you may hear in the media, I actually know enough to know the president likes people who are willing to tell him no. He likes the people who are honest brokers. And yet everybody around him just wants to suck up. You can call in if you want to be a program on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. How about a little bit of Georgia news here? Uh, This is this is a thing this this is a thing. I did not know it was a thing, but it is a thing. Actually, I kind of knew it was a thing and I kind of see why it's a thing, but I didn't realize they want to ban this. So. Uh, Senate Bill 286 filed in the Georgia Senate is a Democratic initiative uh, sponsored by Tanya Anderson, a Democrat from Lithonia. It would uh, ban the firing or disciplining of students or employees uh, for their hair. You know, no school or business could punish someone for their hair. Uh, Let me read you part of this from the AJC. Uh, The incidents almost always make headlines. An adult or child is told their hair is inappropriate for work or school and asked to make a change or leave. Often that person is black and wearing their hair naturally or in braids or locks. Legislation filed last week would make it illegal in Georgia for schools or businesses to practice what they call hair-based discrimination. Hair-based discrimination. Our hair is an expression of who we are, and conforming is almost no longer the norm, said the sponsor, Tanya Anderson. Uh, Senate Bill 286 addresses what it considers professional at work, school, or when seeking housing, and bans institutions from discriminating based on how hair is stylized. Listen, I am sympathetic to the issue, frankly, um, those of you who are listening to this program and are white, uh, you don't understand uh, hair issues in the black community, particularly among women. Uh, I, I, I have enough friends of mine who have educated me enough over the years uh, that it, it is a problem. And the the straight um, straight styled hair is actually not necessarily good. And uh, for for the health of their hair and and putting it in rows and and the like is actually better, uh, healthier for hair. And there are some employers who get all of it. I personally think it's beautiful, um, but there are some employers and some schools who don't allow it. And so I'm really sympathetic to the issue, but I'm also uh, really opposed to the state legislating this because, you know, in some situations, schools do have standards and they want standards different for boys and girls. And you and I both know that you're going to have boys who try to take advantage of this or, or people who take advantage of it one way or the other. And I, I, I don't think this is a matter for legislation. And I realize some states have done this. Let me give you the list of states that have done this. California, New York, New Jersey, and they've got legislation pending in Colorado, Tennessee, and Florida. It's, it's dead on arrival in Florida and Tennessee. The, the hippies in Colorado may do it. I just do not think that there is a role for government to say uh, you business or you school can't regulate your employees or your students' hair. If it is a matter of education because white people don't understand, well, educate them. 
use education. I've never understood that this this philosophical idea on the left that instead of actually beginning dialogue and, and trying to develop understanding, we're just going to browbeat people with the law and sue the heck out of them if they don't give us our way. I, I don't think that's wise long term. I think it does build up resentment. And you got a real case. It is one I understand and am sympathetic to, but come on, people. You can't just go out there and start, let's, let's, I don't like, I'm going to ban them from doing this. Some employers and schools have legitimate reasons. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. Welcome. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you are just tuning in, let me bring you up to speed. There's a bill filed in the Georgia legislature, Senate Bill 286. It would prohibit uh, schools or employers from disciplining uh, students or employees uh, who have hairstyles uh, that the company doesn't like. It's called hair discrimination. Um, a opposition to discrimination, uh, protective hairstyles includes, I'm reading the legislation, but is not limited to such hairstyles as braid, locks, and twists. Race includes traits historically associated with race, including but not limited to hair texture and protective hairstyles. Uh, no individual shall be subject to discrimination on the basis of such individual's protective hairstyle in any program or activity conducted by an educational institution that receives or benefits from state financial assistance or enrolls pupils who receive uh, state student financial assistance. And uh, no employer shall fail or refuse to hire uh, any employer. Uh, shall refuse to hire nor shall any employer discharge or discriminate against any individual respect to wages, rates, blah, 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 um, because of such individual's protective hairstyle. There you go. Um, that that's, that's been introduced in the legislature. We'll see if it has a chance to pass the how uh, Senate bill 286. I, I, as I've said earlier, I'm sympathetic, but I don't really think that this is the matter for the legislature. Now, um, I hush my Lord, serious. I'm starting uh, Siri and I are, we're having a difficult time in our relationship. Let's go to Carrie in Rome on this issue. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Um, okay. So the, um, language in the bill that says that no individual shall be discriminated against based on hair. Right. Okay. So I have this situation. I'm from Louisiana. I'm from Baton Rouge. Really? I'm to, from just North of Baton Rouge. Where are you from? East Feliciana Parish. Well, you go. I'm from Baton Rouge. I grew up in 70805. I went to Estruma High School, so you know. 70748 for me. My grandmother went to Estruma High School. So you know where I grew up. And Uh so I'm not not prejudiced at all, and I understand about black hair. Well, when I was working in Alexandria, Louisiana, I worked for a printer. And there was a guy who had really long hair, and the owner told him he had to cut his hair, and he didn't want to. He said, your hair is going to get caught in the collating machine or in the binding machine or something like that, and, you know, I'm going to have a lawsuit or whatever. So the guy went and cut his hair. Under this law, he could have refused to cut his hair. He could have gotten his hair caught in the collating machine. Then he could have turned around and sued the owner of the company for not having a safe work environment. When he's the, but he was under the rights of the law. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking at the legislation. I'm trying to see if yeah, okay. So there is a line in here 
um, that says uh, that the employers can be protected if, if they require the protective hairstyle uh, to, to if they prohibit the protective hairstyle because it restricts the individual's ability to engage in the job or occupation. But then, you know, you're right still because the guy could say, well, I can put my hair up and so it's not going to impede my ability to work. And so you still get a lawsuit because now you're quibbling over whether or not uh, the employer gets to decide if you're going to interfere. And, and, you know, I know someone who got their hair caught in one of those machines. It is it, it and, is an unpleasant thing. And, and the point is, if I was working next to him and he didn't get his hair cut and I would have saw it pull out part of his scalp, mm-hmm. that would have been detrimental and traumatizing for me to watch that. Right. That's why we have OSHA laws. Right. Yep. Look, Gary, I agree with you 100%, and and I think the legislature needs to be careful going down this road. Because, you know, and thank you very much for the phone call. The phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. 877-973-7425. The situation Gary was just talking about, let's say the employer prohibits the person from the hairstyle because it is a safety issue at work under the under the law let me read you this now i found the paragraph here um blah 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 blah, blah. um it, no employer shall fire or refuse to hire the employee unless such protective hairstyle restrictions uh, restricts such individual's ability to engage in the particular job or occupation for which he or she is eligible. In, in Gary's situation, printer, uh, and the employer says, your hair, you got to cut your hair because it can get tangled up in the machine and, and rip your hair out. And and I know, I, I, I am very familiar with the situation where that happened. And that person had put their hair up so that it could not get trapped in the machine. And in a frenetic day, uh, doing a bunch of wedding invitations, uh, the hair slipped and got in the machine and, and ripped out part of the, de-scalped the person, basically. Um, not a not a pleasant situation. And the employer tried to accommodate with them. So let's say that the employer fires the person or says you can't work here because you're, your hair. And the person says, well, I'll put up my hair. And the employer says, no, you can't work here with the hair. Does that person have a lawsuit then? To say I I could have reasonably he could have reasonably accommodated me. You know there's going to be lawsuits over something like this. And again, here's here's my thing. Um, I think that we as a society are rushing towards um, driving costs up through litigation. You know, it's, tangent time, tangent time. But we should have an we should have an official sounder here for when I go off on random tangents. I'm going to go off on a random, highly educational tangent. Do you know why in Scripture, St. Paul tells the early Christians not to be litigious and engage in lawsuits? Do you have any idea why? Because it set them apart from the pagans in the Roman Empire. Huh? So in Rome, you didn't just go to gladiatorial uh, combat for entertainment. You went to court. Court was a spectacle. Rome, the Roman Empire, was a highly, highly litigious society. Neighbor sued neighbor all the time. And people would go in and it was part of the, it was boastful oratory skill. You'd go in and you'd make these wonderful 
speeches, your, your righteous indignation over how your neighbor slandered you, abused you and your family, and the crowd would go wild and cheer, and people could make their, their name for themselves in the Roman Empire, and particularly in Rome proper. I mean, it was a really big deal. People would sue each other just for the heck of it, so they could go to court, and they could, they could prove they were such a big speaker and persuade the jury to give them money, and it essentially became competition. Lawsuits weren't necessarily lawsuits for merit. Lawsuits were lawsuits for competition. And so Paul is telling the early Christians that they can't be litigious like that. That that's that's not what a Christian does. A, a Christian does not drag everybody into court and, and do that. And so many of the admonitions of the early Christian church and the, the Paul and, and James and, and Peter in, in writing their epistles were about setting the behavior of the Christians apart so that people could see they were peace-loving, so that people could see that they were uh, that, that they were set apart in some way, that they b- did not behave like standard society, and, and so they they stood out. And, and frankly, the, the modern church has lost that to a degree. We don't really stand out. Most, most Christians look exactly like everyone else around them. We presume everybody goes to church. We don't know. There's not a lot of difference between a lot of people in, in church and the atheists down the street these days, except you give up your Sunday morning to go to church. Nobody would know it, given your behavior during the week. But Paul was very insistent, as with Peter and James and Jude in their epistles in the early church, uh, Christians stand out. Their behavior sets them apart. They don't do things that pagan society does. I've always been fascinated with the rise of things that the that Scripture set aside. Like, for example, and again, I, I've said this before, tattoos. And I, I, no, no disparagement intended for tattoos. I don't have them. I, I, I think I'm the only person, one of two people I know who don't have tattoos, and it seems like everybody has to. My wife has, I think, six tattoos now. Um, so, so no disparagement intended. I'm, I'm, I'm married to a woman with a tattoo. But it was interesting that, that in, in the Israelites, God said no tattoos, because clearly he wouldn't have said that, except he wanted them to, to be set apart, to distinguish themselves from everyone else. And it was very clear that the tribes around and the Egyptians must have had a lot of tattoos. And so not having tattoos sets you apart. You must be a Jew. You must be an Israelite. And as as this has worn off, and of course uh, th- those those ceremonial laws aren't binding on um, on Christians and, and people really in the 20th century, but before that, but in the 20th century and, and now in the 21st century, hipster pastors love to get tattoos and make themselves look culturally relevant. That that we got to blend in with society to try to lure people to Jesus or some such. Uh, and now we also the, the litigiousness of society. A, a lot of litigious Christians. Now, that is an, a total tangent, by the way, but uh, bringing it back to this, we do, as, as society has, has gotten away from Christian values in this country, as we become very much a post-Christian country, the rate of frivolous litigiousness is on the rise again. I remember back in the early 2000s, tort reform was a big deal, trying to dissuade lawsuits. Notice you don't hear a lot about tort reform anymore. Everybody's suing everybody now, and that is a—it's it, it, unfortunate, 
but it's a reality, and it is a reality in a pagan society that that people feel slighted, and they're going to rush to court, and they're going to sue, they're going to be litigious, they're going to fight it out. I mean, for God's sakes, that's kind of what we're that's what we're happening um, with with impeachment right now. The the Democrats are mad at the president. They have fundamentally embraced a mythology that he stole the 2016 election and that he's going to steal the 2020 election, and that's what impeachment is all about. It, it's about payback. It, it is about uh, an eye for an eye. It is about uh, a litigiousness that is is pretty r- runs pretty pretty deep within the American cultural landscape right now not just the Democratic Party and you do a law like this wow what what a what a way to, to get away from that but but uh, you you gotta you want to make it uh, against the law, you want to regulate how employers can and cannot fire people based on how they dress and, and how they wear their hair. I, I Listen, I don't want to minimize the concern because I genuinely get the concern. I, I genuinely, fundamentally get the concern, uh, particularly with black women and hair. And there are cultural norms where they think they've got to straighten and flatten and curl their hair in, in ways that actually does real damage to their hair. But I don't think that the solution is litigiousness and laws banning it. I think the the issue is have the conversation. Explain why. Educate people. And it slowly at first, and then all of a sudden, people will change their minds. I'm I'm just I, I'm a real I'm not a big fan of of I I think half the laws that Congress and our state legislature passes are unneeded. Frankly, we've been a country for how many years now? Over two hundred years, two hundred forty some odd years. Why do we need to continue to add laws? Can Congress not just take a year off, come in, do the budget, appropriate the funds, and go home? Come up, have some oversight hearings, make sure the president's doing the job right, make sure things aren't out of control, and go home? Divide it up that way? Congress every year comes up, we need a law, we need a law. Why why do we need any more laws, particularly criminal laws? Why do we need any criminal laws? Why, Why does Congress... Need to have any criminal laws. The state, I get it. Listen, the states are in charge of of police and law enforcement. The states need to have laws, the criminal laws. Why does Congress need federal criminal law? I see no business for Congress being the federal criminal law. I'm very adamantly opposed to federal criminal law. And that's one reason I supported federal criminal justice reform is, frankly, I think that that the federal government has no business being in criminal uh, law. That should be for the states. There, there is a very limited window of uh, laws by which I think Congress should be involved, and a lot of that has to do with harm towards the federal government or federal officers. You know, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, it was dealt with in, in uh, court in Dallas County because it was not against federal law to assassinate the president of the United States. It was a state murder charge against um, uh, what's Lee Harvey Oswald. It was only after that did they make it a federal law. I personally don't think that we need these federal laws. Let the states do with it. I would make an exception on like uh, shooting the president or, or members of Congress, violence to them. Yeah, I think make that a federal law. But when it comes to, to drugs and, and other stuff, we got 50 states. Let them hammer these things out. And when it comes to discrimination laws, let the 50 states do it. Uh, I, I'm really opposed to expansive federal laws on these things. Now, the, there are exceptions still even with discrimination. Uh, I, I do believe that the Congress has a role to play when it comes to prohibiting discrimination against black people in this country. I fundamentally do. We fought a civil war over this issue. Uh, and I, I would make exceptions there, and, and God bless Congress for doing it. But 
Congress keeps whittling away and, and adding new things to discrimination. And we got 50 states. Let the states decide. And if you don't like where you live in one state, guess what? We're a fully mobile society. Move to another state. And if that makes me a bad person, I'm sorry. The founders believed in federalism, and federalism is the cure to what ails us right now. It's a divided country. States should be able to have their unique identities, ceding limited power to Washington to help all of us get along on the same page internationally. But otherwise, between the states, Alabama and Georgia should be completely different states, and Georgia and California in particular should be very different states. So, again, remember, you can text the word impeachment to 52886 and get into the Resurgent Action Center. Uh, Holy cow, 698 of you listening, uh, 699, just as thank you, Mark, uh, 699 of you have thus far engaged with the Action Center to send emails and make phone calls to your members of Congress. Um, Text the word impeachment to 52886 uh, and you can generate emails if you got Twitter tweets and otherwise phone calls to your members of the Senate uh, in opposition to the impeachment. Just tell them it's a bipartisan, simple message. Just say, let the voters deal with this in November. I've, I've had some people reach out and say, this is highly irresponsible. This is Congress's job. But again, this, this is philosophical. Um, We are a 50-50 nation deeply divided, and the Democrats were unable to persuade a single Republican to impeach the president of the House. The The Clinton impeachment had more bipartisan support. And they want to use that to throw the president out of office? No, that's hogwash. Here's the thing that, that people don't understand, and I want to move on from – I'm happy to take your phone calls. By the way, if you've got any questions on impeachment, I do kind of want to give you a lay of the land of, of how it's going to shape up today. we got the impeachment rules and stuff, but there's other stuff I want to talk about. Um, but I will take your phone calls. The phone number, if you want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 7425. That's 973-7425. There are 21 Republicans in the House of Representatives who are leaving almost to a person with a couple of exceptions. Tom Graves is one of the exceptions. Tom Graves uh, from here in Georgia, the 14th Congressional District from the Rome uh, area north, he's leaving Congress. He's one of the few who doesn't blame the president. Uh, Graves recognizes the Republicans are not going to take back the House in 2020. I mean, that. The, listen, you talk to any Republican member of Congress privately, and they're going to tell you it's not going to happen. Uh, so Graves is not going to be a committee chair. He's not going to have the power of the majority. So he's leaving. And he's not alone. Most of them, though, the overwhelming majority of them, though, blame the president for their departure. They blame the president for the political landscape. They blame the president for the loss of the House. And a majority of that 21 hate the president. Some of them say deeply, deeply awful things about the president behind the scenes. That's just the reality of it. They don't like the president. They don't trust the president. They think the president's bad for the country. They think he's a bad president. Uh, And they don't want to say it publicly because they don't want to make his voters mad. But here's the thing. They no longer have to fear the president's voters. Those 21 members of Congress, they no longer have to fear the voters because they're not standing for re-election. 
you know, when Barack Obama wanted to pass Obamacare, he had to rely on retiring Democrats to get it through. He had to rely on those Democrats because they never had to fear the voters again. What, what, Sestak and the others who were leaving, who had been the pro-life Democrat and, and had to, to pretend that it wasn't a, a pro-abortion measure so that he could in, in supposedly keep his conscience? Um, he voted for it, was able to get it passed, and it got passed. But the president had to use those retiring members of Congress to do it. And the Democrats have 21 Republicans. Half of them hate the president's guts. They blame him for their departure. They'd still be in Congress. They'd still be in the majority, they think, without him. And the Democrats got precisely zero of them to support their impeachment. Republicans got more Democrats to support impeachment of Clinton. Most of those were retiring Democrats, too, if you'll recall. The Democrats have gotten none now. That tells me the Democrats had no case. They did not even bother to try to build consensus. I think that shows you that this is a waste of time. And that's why I think the voters should decide this, not the Congress. And you can tell Congress that by texting the word impeachment to 52886. We'll get into the rules when we come back right here on The Eric Erickson Show. It is Eric Erickson here, and the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, it has begun. Uh, Here in the inbox, Catherine Watson, she's with CBS, isn't she? Went on the campaign trail for CBS. Uh, Catherine Watson, yes, uh, the White House reporter, CBS News Digital uh, from her inbox, canceled uh, Bernie Sanders University of Northern Iowa rally canceled due to impeachment schedule. That is right. Uh, impeachment beginning in full force on Capitol Hill in the United States Senate. Uh, the impeachment trial will be happening here starting after uh, noon today. The Chief Justice of the United States will be escorted in. They will go through a bunch of procedural things. And then away they go. Uh, the House is in a pro forma session. And, um, well, the, the Senate itself, it's going to be kind of boring, I suppose, a lot of it, as they'll be coming up with rules and arguing. I want to talk a little bit about those rules before we move on to other things. Uh, in particular, the Republican contention that they're using the rules from the Senate impeachment trial My buddy James Wallner is the expert when it comes to Senate rules. Uh, He works at, uh, what is it, R Street now? It's a libertarian conservative think tank. He worked for Jim DeMint for a while, master of the rules of the Senate. And he points out that these are not really the rules. The talking point the Republicans are saying is these are just the rules of the Senate. Not really. The rules of the Senate from the Clinton impeachment trial allowed senators essentially to make unlimited motions. And what McConnell is doing is he's putting in what the Democrats are referring to, and frankly, what McConnell is referring to as a kill switch. They're afraid that this thing is going to wind on so long and they want to stop it. Uh, They want to be able to stop it. And so a majority of the Senate can essentially prevent other senators from making motions Not individual senators, but overall, they can just say, you know what, no more motions to speed things along. And then ultimately, after the uh, after the floor managers for both sides have had their say and made their cases, the Senate has the ability by majority vote to end the impeachment and dismiss it. 
that's a little different from Clinton. They've changed it somewhat. Some of the senators are a little bit upset about a uh, majority's ability to shut down motions, uh, but they don't want to turn it into a circus. They don't want to turn it into a spectacle, and they want to get it over and done with. And I think that's fair. And I think that if the Democrats do go down the road of calling witnesses, you know, let me play again. This again, Tim Scott, uh, what he said earlier about witnesses. Listen closely to what he's saying, because this is the, the parameters of the witnesses where the Republicans are. Well, you just got to remember, Mr. Schumer wanted, wants witnesses now, but he didn't want witnesses under uh, President Clinton's trial. So uh, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. At the end of the day, he's right that they do have the opportunity to have votes. I look forward to voting no on any witness that was not a witness during the House. It is not our responsibility as senators to help improve or expand the case. The way that we understand the process, the House sends over a completed case and we make a decision based on that completed case. If the House doesn't like the case they sent over, then they need to do something in the House to change that case. But our responsibility as jurors is to hear the case, not add to it, not illuminate it, not expand it. Uh, that decision is a House decision and not a decision made by the jurors. He'll listen to witnesses, Democratic witnesses, who the Democrats have already interviewed. No new witnesses. They didn't take the time to do it, so why bother? Uh, let me go back to Mary Catherine Hamm from yesterday on CNN. Um, because I think their argument, which I think has some merit, is why didn't the House subpoena the witnesses that they wanted? They did not bother even to subpoena uh, Bolton. I think that was their job. I think it could have gone, been adjudicated through the courts. They did not want it done that way because they wanted the timing to be faster, and then Pelosi sat on it for several weeks, which... I still don't understand the, the wisdom and behind that said, tactic. We don't have time for the courts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, was, we don't have time. This is so urgent. We don't have time. That was the explicit yeah. argument. Um, as far as bringing this as an impeachable uh, event, I think it doesn't have to be a crime. The House can make a calculation on that. I think it is wiser to be a crime um, lest you bring down the bar too low. And that's why I think you're seeing pretty stagnant in the polls when it comes to removal. Uh, she's right there. And they made no attempt to do this. And now the Republicans are saying, if you do this, we're going to bring in Hunter Biden. Well, here's uh, the genius, Maisie Hirono from Hawaii, senator from Hawaii. And we can, you know, but that forces his Republican members to vote to table uh, any witnesses coming forward. Does, does that mean we end up with a deal for Hunter Biden in exchange for a John Bolton or something like that? I don't know that Chuck is going to make that right. kind of deal. But what I anticipate is that Chuck would make a motion for Bolton. That would be turned down, and then maybe they may make a counter motion amendment to to uh, the McConnell motion to proceed. That would be Hunter Biden, and that would probably be voted up. I don't know. May that, they may vote it down because it does look pr pretty weird that somebody who actually was there in the White House who called this whole thing a drug deal not to be allowed, and then they're going to have a Hunter Biden who doesn't even have anything to do with what the president did, and they're going to go ahead with that kind of a witness See, that that just. That doesn't look good for them either. And legally, that's an important point. Hunter Biden's testimony has no legal bearing on whether the president's conduct was no. improper. Right? And uh, up to now, the Republicans have yet to focus on the president's conduct. They have been tossing out, you know, what about this and what about Hunter Biden? What about all, all of this? What about the, the scheme um, that is actually the Ukrainians and all that? You know what? But they have not focused on the president's actions. And what it's going to come down to is that the president did it. He himself says he did nothing wrong, but he did it. So what? 
He did it. So what? The thing that, that bugs me about this is this talking point that Hunter Biden's behavior has no bearing on the president's culpability. You know, I really, really, really disagree with this. I, I really, really disagree with this. Um, the reality is that the president would not have interacted the way he did but for Hunter Biden's behavior. And so it is relevant to the president. It is relevant to the president's behavior. It is relevant to uh, why the president made inquiries and is relevant to how the president made the inquiry. I think it deeply matters. And I think it is a Democratic talking point to say otherwise. And you've got some Democrats out now saying, you know what, just bring it on. Let's make this happen. Bring it on. Uh, let us uh, go forth and and let the president do what he's going to do and bring in Hunter Biden and Hunter can be the fall guy. And some of the Democrats are like, hey, this may hurt Joe. I got to imagine that privately Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren would not mind Hunter Biden being on, on the stand in the Senate. I got to imagine that um, because it would certainly help undermine Joe Biden, which is why so many Democrats are really upset that uh, this may happen because they don't want to hurt Joe Biden. They're deeply worried about the other Democratic candidates gaining traction. And I think they're right on that. Uh, Listen, I think Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, the fact that Donald Trump does so well in Georgia against them, according to all the polls, is a big red flag. If you're trying to persuade moderate voters, swing voters to go for the Democratic Party, they're the ones you don't want. Even Pete Buttigieg would be better than those two because there's so much dirt on both of them. You know, the media has never really adequately, honestly and fairly dove into the Bernie Sanders rape fantasy things. And that's, that's legitimate stuff there. There's a, if you did not know, and, and if you have kids, I apologize. And I made you turn down the radio the other day. I'm not going to reread what he wrote, but Bernie Sanders back in the seventies, when he was in Vermont would write rape fantasies. Is that really going to go over? Who, who do you think the suburban moms are going to go for? Maybe they'll sit home. The guy who said he'd grab a woman by what? Or or the man who wrote fantasies about rape. I don't think Bernie can actually get the nomination. I Look, I, I realize there's a great freak out on the Democratic side right now that Bernie could get the nomination. I don't think he can. I just don't think he can. And, and as he embraces more incendiary uh, members of the public and whatnot— uh, I, I, I just, I don't think he can. Um, and, and I want to transition now, speaking of Bernie and his, his incendiary and far left supporters, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who gave a speech yesterday and, and she talked part about, uh, the Virginia, uh, the gun situation in Virginia and the protests in Virginia, not really clearly understanding them. Listen to some of the things that she had to say. Uh, you know, another thing that I've been really thinking and sitting with today is that we, there's this, um, gun rights protests that's right. happening right. down in Richmond. Right. And on MLK Day. On MLK Day. <laughs> but here's the image that has struck with me the most about that, is that when we go out and march for the dignity and the recognition of the lives of people like Freddie Gray mm-hmm. and Eric Garner, mm-hmm. the whole place is surrounded by police in riot gear. Mm-hmm without a gun in sight. Mm-hmm. And here are all of these people um, flying Confederate flags with mm-hmm. semi-automatic weapons. Mm-hmm. And there's almost no police officers mm-hmm. at that protest. Mm-hmm. So who are, are in, 
who or what are our institu institutions protecting right. from who? Right. Right. Uh, you know why the police didn't have to be See, this is she's clearly not someone. And, you know, you, you get this. Listen, I, I would imagine if you pay attention to Alexandria Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Instagram, she seems to be a very nice person with whom you can disagree on politics. If you see her on Twitter or you hear stuff like this, what you realize is that she hasn't really lived outside of, of her bubble. She hasn't experienced the rest of the country and she wants to shape policy for a country of 350 million people with highly limited experience inside a bubble. The reason you didn't have a major law enforcement presence in Virginia yesterday is because the people weren't a threat and the police do it. They were law-abiding, peaceful citizens there to exercise their rights under the Constitution. Now, two other things that she said that, that are setting people abuzz. Listen to her description of the Democratic Party. This is of the Democratic Party. Uh, speaking of bubbles, listen to this. Yeah, and, you know, in what you said earlier, too, I wanted to go back um, to what you said about our left party. We don't have a left party mm. in the United States. Mm. The Democratic Party is not a left party. Mm -hmm. um, the Democratic Party mm. is a center or center conservative party. Mm. We do not advocate for, we do not, we can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. Not even a floor vote that gets mm -hmm. voted down. Mm -hmm. We can't even get a vote on it. Mm -hmm. So this is not a left party. Mm -hmm. There are left members inside the Democratic Party mm -hmm. that are working to try to make that shift happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you know the Democratic Party was a center-right party? How far left do you have to be to look at a Democratic Party and say, oh, yeah, they're conservatives? And you know there are actually members of the media who would agree with her because they're that far left as well. Uh, this is, you know, I remember back in the day being a Tea Party activist, the media would do all sorts of stories on the problems the Republican Party had because the Tea Party was dragging it to the right and it was going to break up the party. And there was going to be civil war in the party and on and on. Have you noticed that you never actually hear those sorts of stories on the left or rarely do you hear those sorts of stories? And the reason you don't is because so many of the reporters out there are, are really aligned with her. They, they don't recognize that the party is being pulled so far to the left or that it's a bad thing. They don't treat it as a bad thing, and perhaps they should. Uh, and that is, that's going to cause them all sorts of problems. One, one last thing from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I saw you, you use the term colonial. Yes. In reference to uh, America's uh, uh, relationship with, with Puerto Rico. Why would you use that term? Well, Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States. Um, people, you know, they are subjects. When you are part of a country, and especially one that calls itself a democracy, mm. and uh, you do not get to vote mm. or have any say, in, and your referendums on status, whether mm. it's for independence or statehood, mm. You can have referendum after referendum. No one's listening to you anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have a right to self-determination. Mm -hmm. You don't have a vote in the actual, or, and you don't have any federal rep voting representation at all. You are a subject. Mm. And a country with subjects mm. is a colonial mm. empire. Mm.
whatever. Uh, by the way, can I just say it, it's I try not to do this, and, and I hope that that Charlie or Philip would like light up my phone in mid interview. Hmm. 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 I, I have occasionally gone mm -hmm, in agreement with something, but but I try to spread as a hmm. It's an annoying interviewer habit. If you interview people, don't ever do that. Okay. I I, I don't even know what to say about the colonial thing. You, you know, they, they have the right to, to opt out. They have the right to walk away. They do. And now, Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Capitalism has not always existed in the world. It will not always exist in the world. When this country started, we were not a capitalist nation. That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number, well, it's too late for me to take your phone calls, isn't it? So too bad you lost your opportunity. This, I, I got I to gotta spend just a moment on this from Barstool Sports. Uh, Charlie put this in the stack of stuff. Um, this is incredible. Um, a, a Saul Phillips is a former Division One coach at Ohio and North Dakota State. He's now coaching D2 ball in South Dakota and wound up saving someone's life. It, this is just, this is crazy. Um, so Saul Phillips' GPS told him to turn on a road that didn't seem quite right, but without being able to see anything because of a snowstorm, he relied on blind trust. He continued to inch along too far from civilization to find a safe spot to stop. That's when he saw a car in the ditch. In broken English, a young woman said, I'm in labor. They were on their way to the hospital. They got stuck in a ditch. Uh, Mr. Phillips, Coach Phillips, was trying to figure out in his head how to reconfigure the seat so he could deliver a baby while staying in line with 911. Eventually, he could hear the police tell the dispatch they didn't think they could make it. The storm was too bad, and they couldn't see any vehicles near the location Saul had described. At just that moment, he caught a glimpse of a headlight in the distance, said, tell them to keep coming. I see them. Moments later, a snow plow, followed by a police car, followed by an ambulance, came into view. So Saul Phillips decided to drive from game to game instead of riding on the on the team bus. He had to, to he didn't pull over because of the snowstorm. He relied on his GPS, doing well the stuff the GPS does, and winds up having to deliver a baby in a snowstorm. Y'all, I'm telling you, yeah, I read stories like this, and my first reaction is God's got a plan for all of us, and we don't know what it is. Um we, we are all part of a plan that none of us can seem to understand. I don't have all the answers. I just know that that he is real and he's got a plan for every one of us. And it just, it is fascinating to me uh, to see things like this, uh, stories like this. He was in the right place at the right time. And, and there will be people who say, well, what if he wasn't in the right place at the right time? Yep, that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, but... Um, he happened to be, he happened to be. So in any event, now 
We got to move on. One of the things I, I want to tell you, particularly those of you who are up in Rome uh, in the 14th, I have been asked to participate in a debate of the Republican candidates. The the 14th Congressional District, there are some Democrats out there who have this fantasy and lights of being able to take the 14th Congressional District in Georgia. They can't. Uh, in the same way, have you seen the it is a fantastic commercial. It is a fantastic commercial for a Republican immigrant, Somali immigrant, I believe, running in Minnesota against Ilhan Omar. And I see conservatives circulating this this campaign video all the time. And it is an amazing video. It is so well done. This woman has spent really good money to do a a fantastic rollout of herself uh, against Ilhan Omar. She wants conservative dollars. Conservatives are pouring money in. They want to help her get elected. The district is like R plus 29. I'm sorry, D plus 29. Uh, Jesus Christ himself running as a Republican would lose to Ilhan Omar in this district. Uh, it is that heavily Democrat. Um, you, you you run a Republican against a ham sandwich, the ham sandwich is going to win in a D-plus-29 district. Don't give me the, um, the, the, the the Roy Moore situation, the scandal stuff. This is a completely different scenario, uh, and that that race was not nearly as uh, – Alabama nearly as Republican as that district is Democrat. And you got the same thing in the 14th. Uh, these Democrats think they can get it. No, they can't either. That's an R-plus-plus, I think, 20 district. Uh, So the Republicans are going to get it. I'm going to participate in the debate. At some point this week, I want to kind of do a breakdown of the candidates there and in the seventh closer into the Atlanta area. Got a lot of people running and I will cover all that for you this week.